you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Mr. President, I'm here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun. He's gonna shoot the president. Holy smokes, I've gotta do something. All right, Lee. Time to become an American hero. Not yet, buddy. I still got to introduce the show. I got to get everything set up and everything so everybody understands what the hell I'm talking about. I promise you'll get your chance to speak, Billy. I promise. Billy, come on, bro. Just give me a little bit. I got to set everything up. Then I promise you can have the last word, sir. I know you want to set these guys straight. Thank you. Thank you. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the Lone Gummin Podcast. This is episode number 105. I am your host, Rob Clark, and this episode is the ghost of Billy Lovelady. Now, he got a little early start there, uh, but I promise he will make an appearance in this episode. That's right. Now, the reason this episode is called the ghost of Billy Lovelady, okay, is of course, Billy Lovelady passed away in 1979 uh, at the age of 41 from a heart attack. And Although some folks might have you believe that there's some sinister, um, murderous thing behind his death, um, it can't be proven. There was no autopsy done. You know, it, it just happens sometimes. You know, people die. Okay? Sometimes people die young. You know, sometimes it just happens. Not everything surrounding the Kennedy assassination when people die is, is some kind of a gigantic conspiracy. Now... The reason that, that these guys, and I'll, I'll name them for you, for those uh, playing along at home, Jim Fetzer, okay, has a radio show called The New JFK Show. Very original title, by the way. I'm sure Gary King thought of that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so they these guys do a show, an internet radio show or a podcast, if you will, or a YouTube 
cast, whatever, whatever it is. Um, every week, and they, and they talk about all their great research that they're doing over there. <clears throat> okay, now these are the same guys that brought us Oswald in the doorway and all this other nonsense about a thirty-second limo stop. Uh, you know, despite you know any evidence whatsoever, you know. But the main thing is, of course, is when they're addressing Oswald in the doorway. Now, for those of you not familiar, let me set it up for you real quick. And for those of you who are familiar, bear with me, okay? Because not everybody knows about this, okay? But in the Alton Six photograph, there was a figure in the background of the doorway of the Texas School Book Depository. Obviously, to most people, it is Billy Lovelady. Okay, now, of course, 50 years ago, when you're looking at a blurry newspaper photo, uh, you know, there is kind of a resemblance to Lee Oswald. You know, but when you have the original photograph or negative and you blow it up to a size that's, you know, comparable, I think the best version I've seen was done by the HSCA. And it's clearly Billy Lovelady standing there. Okay. Now, these guys will have you believe that it's Lee Oswald standing there because supposedly they, they'll tell you that the man in the doorway is wearing Lee Oswald's arrest shirt. Okay. <clears throat> now, Billy Lovelady that day had a very distinct shirt on. It was a long sleeve red shirt, bright red, and it had vertical and horizontal uh black and white lines of varying degrees of thickness running through it, creating a plaid pattern. Okay. It's a red plaid shirt, long sleeve button up. Now, when you're looking at the alternate photograph or a blow up of it, if you look very closely, you can see this pattern and it's very faint. Okay. Because we're talking about a blurry image in a, in a shadowy spot, this very, Diminutive when in the in the scope of the original photograph, the original photograph is very large. It encompasses a lot of things going on in it, including the limo, including the school book depository, and the Dowtex building behind it, and cars in the motorcade, Secret Service agents, the doorway, spectators, all kinds of stuff going on in this photo. But the part we're talking about is very small. If you look at the original photo, now, if you actually take a picture, a color picture. A Billy Lovelady wearing the shirt that he wore that day. And you put it next to the a blow up of the man in the doorway, the auction six photograph, and you put them side by side and you see how the shirt patterns are and you see how it circles around his arm. You can, you can see the pattern of the man in the doorway, but they won't admit this. Okay. They try to maintain that. No, it's Oswald's ugly orangey brown arrest shirt. Okay. That he was arrested in. Now Oswald's own words at least according to Fritz's notes, state not once but twice that he went home to Beckley and changed his clothes before he went to the theater. And by his account, he was wearing a reddish shirt. Okay, now reddish could mean a lot of things, especially back then. Um, it could have meant like a, a light tan or brown. It, it could have meant orangey. It could have meant reddish, a dark red, maroon. You know, any any kinds of things here, okay? And there were clothes found at Beckley that match somewhat of the description. Because nobody, except for Marion Baker, says that Oswald was wearing 
a long sleeve shirt at work that day. Now, Marion Baker said it was a light brown shirt. Okay. Now, when you're comparing a light brown shirt, okay, what comes to my mind is khaki or tan or beige. And there was a shirt of that description found at Oswald's rooming house in the dirty clothes pile. Everybody else that saw Oswald that day said he only had a white t-shirt on, which is probably what he worked in. You know, he probably took his long sleeve shirt off while he was working. You know, I think Carolyn, Carolyn Arnold said he had a white shirt on. Uh, several other of his co-workers said he had a white t-shirt on. Um, and that's probably what he worked in, you know. And he probably hung, hung his long sleeve shirt up with his jacket or, or put it in a room somewhere or whatever he did with it. I don't know. But absolutely no one... And I mean zero people put Oswald in that ugly orangey-brown arrest shirt at the Texas School Book Depository that day. We don't have one witness stating that he was wearing that shirt at work that day. Okay, Therefore, you have no evidence whatsoever that Lee Harvey Oswald wore that shirt to work or that he's standing in the doorway wearing it. Now, for this guy to be Lee Oswald standing in the doorway, of course, they will tell you that there had to be massive alteration done to the Alton 6 photograph. And I'm talking massive alterations. I'm talking people whited out, um, people blacked out, um, you know, people obscured. There's even talk. This is what they say. I'm serious. There's, somebody cut out a picture of Billy Lovelady's face and superimposed it over Oswald's. And I'm not kidding. This is what they say. You know, I guess when somebody in New York just had a, happened to have a picture of Billy Lovelady laying around that they, that they could mask, you know, somehow Photoshop this photo. Uh, and look, if 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 this photograph had all the manipulation and 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 stuff done to it that they allege, it would have looked like a murder scene. Okay, especially back in 1963, because it didn't happen in Dallas, contrary to what they'll have you, you know, believe. Um, Ike Alchins tells a very distinct story, okay, about what happened after he took his pictures. He went straight back to his office. He immediately had the pictures developed, and they were on the wire, okay, within 20 to 30 minutes of the president being shot. That means that they were on the wire and out to New York, the headquarters, where it was then disseminated out to the world over the wire, Okay. So whatever alteration took place had to take place in New York. And they had to just happen to have a picture of Billy Lovelady handy to make this happen. And they just happened and they, they just had to do a great enough job on it to where you can't tell that anything was messed with in the picture in 1963 without computers. Okay, you see my skepticism here. You hear it. I believe that they're just full of crap. Okay, and I've been fighting this stuff for years. Before I did this radio show, probably four or five years ago, I started doing a blog because of Jim Fetzer. Jim Fetzer came out with this idea. Of, <clears throat> he had Ross and Kay on his show. They were talking about Oswald in the doorway, and I said, no way, Jack. No way. There's just too much evidence that it's not him. You know, and Fetzer said, well, if you got something to say, then bring it. So I brought it. I sent him a nice, respectful email explaining why they had this wrong <clears throat> and I, I put detailed information in. I put, you know, 
evidence in there, testimony in there, was very respectful. And you know, you know what I got back? Ha ha! This was a very amorous attempt of blah 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 blah, and it was just such a condescending, assholic response. I couldn't believe it. So I was like, "All right, screw this guy." Well, I'll just, I'll just start a blog, and I'll just contradict everything they say. So that's what I did. Every time Sinkay would come out with something, or they'd say something on the radio show, you know, I'd do a blog post about it, and I'd explain why they're wrong. And I wasn't alone. I had other guys doing it too. Not that I had them doing it, but they they took it upon themselves to do it too. B. Pete, one nine six nine, Joe Bax, uh, Robin Unger, um, Lance Uppercut. You know, all these guys saw what's happening <clears throat> and felt that they needed to right or wrong, just like I did. And you know, fast forward a couple of years, I said, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm done with them. I said what I had to say. Whenever somebody looks their stuff up, they're going to find mine. So, you know, the truth is out there. I was done. And, you know, these other guys are still at it, though. Um, But I just don't have the wherewithal to keep up with their horse shit and and do everything that I'm doing, too. You know, they try to... (laughs) They're they're trying to strip Billy Lovelady of his historical significance. Okay? You know, it's not very often... That an average person is, I wouldn't know if, if, if privilege is, a, is the right word, but you just happen to be at the right place at the right time to witness history take place. And you happen to be caught in a classic, iconic photograph at the exact moment that John F. Kennedy is shot for the first time in Dealey Plaza. And you're right behind him. And these guys are trying to take that away from him and his family and his legacy. By trying to erase him out of the Alton's photograph and make it Lee Oswald. It's a travesty of justice. Okay? You know, they try to paint this guy like he was some kind of an an accomplice. uh, Maybe another patsy. You know, they, they bring up his shady background. Look, the guy was 23 years old. Okay? He got caught stealing guns from the military that he was in and selling them in a bar. You know, there was a whole bunch of these guys, Billy Levity and all his friends, they would steal stuff from the military and, you know, they would sell it. You know, I'm talking blankets, soap, you know, guns, whatever, you know, whatever they could get their hands on. They, these guys saw an opportunity to make some extra money and they took it. You know, maybe he was surrounded by the wrong friends, influential people, um, you know, who knows. But anyway, the point is, you know, people make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's an angel. Especially back then, you know, he then moved to Dallas, got married, you know, had a family, started at a real job. You know, I believe Roy truly ended up paying his fine off for him um, when the FBI did finally catch up to him and and figure out where he was. Um, But that's besides the point. Okay, Lovelady started there a year and a half before the assassination. He mainly worked at the state building, which is the other Texas School Book Depository Warehouse. And he mainly drove a truck, you know, delivering and picking up books. That was his main job. But the reason he was around the Elm Street building that day is supposedly because he was helping to lay new floors on the sixth floor. You know, they were putting plywood down because whoever was there before him, and I think it was a, a coffee 
company or something. But anyway, the, the machinery they used, they had left behind gigantic oil stains. And the cartons of books were starting to soak this oil up into them. And, you know, they didn't want the books damaged and all this. So they were laying plywood over the, the original floors. And they had already supposedly completed this on the fifth floor. And they were now on the sixth floor. And they had started that week. And, you know, but to hear Roy Lewis a couple months ago say that he never saw any evidence of, of, of you know, or he, he never saw anybody fixing floors or putting a new floor down or anything like that. That's very interesting to me because, <clears throat> you know, it raises questions. But, okay, all that aside for now, you know, I can't believe what these this OIC group, the Oswald Innocence Campaign, is trying to do to Billy Lovelady. I can't believe Billy Lovelady's relatives, his children, his grandchildren, are, haven't sued these guys for libel, slander, and everything else, you know, trying to trying to erase him from history, trying to snatch his legacy from him. You know, the guy didn't do much in his life, okay? But he was a, he was a hard worker, you know, a loyal family man, and you know, you're trying to take what he had. You know, was he was he happy that he was caught in the photo or that people said that he looked like Oswald? Probably not. You know, every, every newspaper article I see or read, you know, it says that he was haunted by this and and this, that, and the other, you know, you had researchers trying to hunt him down and talk to him and take his picture, you know, and, he, and you know, of course he wouldn't want that. You know, he, he kind of went ballistic when, you know, his, his wife came there with his kids one day to pick him, to pick him up from work. And some photographers trying to snap his picture of him and his family, you know, sure he's going to be upset. You know, it's, it, you know, it's not fame. It's, in, it's infamous then. You're just infamous because you just happen to look like Lee Oswald caught in this picture. You know, but <sighs> Billy was a very lighthearted guy, kind of guy. He was a joker, at least by all accounts of his co-workers. You know, he was the kind of guy that made work fun, that, you know, that you kind of look forward to. And everybody works with somebody like this that, you know, just keeps you smiling, laughing through the day, you know, can always put a smile on your face, was just a good guy. And... You know, you're going to hear in a minute it, it come through in, in, his, in his interview and you're going to hear his personality and you're going to hear him laughing. And uh, and what I'm referring to, OK, is Billy Lovelady. OK, they try to tell you that <laughs> Billy Lovelady was killed before he had a chance to talk to the HSCA because. Somebody did not want this whole shirt business to come out. Now, in June of 1964, Billy Lovelady was contacted by the FBI. They asked him, say, hey, man, can you come down to our office so we can take your picture? He says, sure. And then he said, he asked them, hey, you want me to wear what I was wearing that day? And they said, no, don't worry about it. So he was, he just came down to whatever he was wearing. And what he was wearing was a short sleeve red and white vertically striped shirt and the stripes were several inches thick so it it didn't resemble a plaid pattern in any kind of way okay it's very obvious that that shirt and the shirt that he wore on november 22nd are two totally very different shirts one short sleeve different colors vertically striped the other one is long sleeve red bright red and plaid 
black and white stripes of varying varying widths. So he goes down to the FBI office there in Dallas, and they take his picture, and uh, they say thank you, um, whatever, whatever. Now they wrote up a report about this, and they made a mistake when they wrote the report up. Whoever wrote the report up stated in the report that this is what Billy Lovelady was wearing on November 22nd. When quite obviously, it's not. Okay? Obviously, it's not. Now, they used this, okay, to put Billy Lovelady somewhere else on the stairs in a short sleeve shirt. Which is just ridiculous because... We have Billy Lovelady in the Martin film, wearing, and it's in color, wearing his red shirt. You can see the plaid. He's right there on the front steps of the Texas School Book Depository. It's a film. You see, we have film of Lovelady in the Dallas Police Department as they're bringing Oswald through there. And he's sitting at the desk, you know, just watching Oswald go by. And you can see for yourself that he has a long sleeve. I mean, it's a black and white movie. But you can see that his shirt is long sleeve and it's, it has a plaid pattern. And if it was in color, it would look like the one in the Martin film. And it would look like the one that he was photographed later on in. Okay, clearly not a short sleeve, vertically striped red and white shirt. So we clearly have evidence, real evidence, that Billy Lovelady was wearing a red long sleeve plaid shirt. Now, what they'll tell you is that's not Lovelady. It's a what they call Gorilla Lovelady. They say he has a jutting jawline of, of you know, like a five-day growth of beard on his face. And then he looks somewhat like a gorilla, you know, but look. <laughs> this is a still from a moving picture. In 1963, it's not a photograph. It's a still from a moving picture. Okay, all kinds of stuff can go on when you freeze frame and capture a still from a moving picture. You know, things get distorted, there's shadows, you know, God knows what's going on. But it clearly is a Billy Lovelady, okay? Now, (laughs) you're going to hear for yourself from Billy's own mouth and he's going to answer all these questions for you about the shirt about what he did that day in November 22nd 1963 you're going to hear it for yourself because they question him now I'm going to play you about two and a half minutes of audio here from Jim Brewer and Cheech Marin I'm sorry Gary King and Larry Rivera, okay, and they jump in and start talking about Billy Lovelady, and I'll be right back. Two and a half minutes. Uh, like I said, he refused to be photographed by anyone after the assassination, mm-hmm. and he was caught in this vortex, hounded throughout his life, and then he moved out to uh, Colorado to avoid investigators and others who wanted wanted to talk to him, and then he died of a, of an, uh, of a heart attack you know, on January 14, 1979. Mm-hmm. He was never interviewed by the House Select Commission, uh, Committee on, on Assassination. 
What year was that House Select Committee on Assassination? In 1979. In 1979, and and Billy dies uh, right when they were going to to interview him. Right you know, before. Right before. Yeah. Well, they did some. Supposedly, they contacted him, and they were in in conversations with him. And I, I'm going to talk about that now uh, because it's very very important because it has to do with the provenance of how the story of the shirt changed from one shirt to another, okay? And now, uh, when after Lovelady died, there was no autopsy performed, okay? Then later on, his wife Patricia passed away in 1996 at the age of 57, so uh, both of them uh, died young, yes. okay? There, there are published articles that make reference to uh, HSCA Volume 6, uh, page 287, and this is the uh, reference that changed Lovelady's initial FBI report of 3264 that we talked about earlier that uh, they brought him in on 229-64 and took his picture and everything. And within this document, uh, there's a footnoted reference, and it's number 252, and it points, like I said before, to six seconds in Dallas, page 227. And this refers to an outside contact report that was done with Lovelady on 7578, and it quotes a document, and the, the number is 009727. Mm -hmm. Now, I looked for this document in all the HSCA uh, documentation, and it doesn't exist, okay? And an outside contact report, for example, must have, could have been a, a phone call or something, very informal information. So unless it's classified, this document doesn't exist. Okay, so what's that telling okay. us exactly? What's that telling us? Well, it tells us that the actual proof of of having spoken to Lovelady of, and Lovelady having changed his story about about the, the shirt that he was wearing doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so because there's no tangible and attributable evidence. Right. There you heard it from Larry Rivera. No tangible or attributable evidence. Sorry, I'm just jamming, man. You might wonder why in the hell I'm playing this. But I'll tell you. Because I'm about ready to make them eat their words. That's why. And I'm happy. And I like reggae. And this dude's name is Billy Lovelady. And he's white. And he's singing reggae. So it's very appropriate. Okay. Bill Lovelady. Reggae for it now, baby. Hmm. Not bad for a white dude named Bill Lovelady. Um, but back to the problem at hand, okay? Now, you heard him a little bit there, referring to an outside contact report, when in fact, this interview, Larry Rivera, has been sitting in the archives for, hmm, 40 years. You know, you can't just call yourself a researcher by scouring the internet, okay? If you really want to start digging and digging into stuff like digging digging and find things sometimes you have to get up off your ass and go to the national archives and do a little digging now the audio that you're about to hear let me make sure you can hear me good 
The audio you're about to hear was obtained by Richard Gilbride and posted on the internet many years ago. And I don't know how you didn't find it. But it's been there for a couple years now. And actually, Dennis Morissette threw up the first part of the, this interview that you're about to hear on YouTube a couple months ago. What I have for you tonight is part two. The part one that I had was not really too listenable. Okay, we're talking about 40-year-old audio that sounds like doo-doo. Um, you know, but I cleaned, I cleaned this up, and I just wanted part two anyway because it pertains to what I wanted to focus on tonight to shove back down these guys' throats and shut them up for a little while. And to illustrate to you the kind of sloppy research or journalism or whatever you want to call it that these guys perpetrate in, okay? You know, I could say it all day, but you're going to hear it for yourself. And I can't do any better than that. I mean, it's the man's own words. The ghost of Billy Lovelady is coming back to haunt your ass. Jim Fetzer, Larry Rivera, Gary King, and Don Fox. And yeah, Don, I heard my name come out your mouth a couple weeks ago. And yes, I don't believe Madeline Brown's story because look, when you're looking at, at, at this stuff, you need evidence, okay? And somebody's story isn't evidence of anything. It just proves to me that you believe whatever people tell you. That's all that believe, you know, that, that's all that proves to me. And I'm sorry, but without some kind of tangible evidence, I'm not gullible enough to take some fruity loop woman his word for it. You have no evidence whatsoever to prove that the merchant's party happened. You have no tangible proof whatsoever except a story to prove that Lyndon Johnson said, uh, After tomorrow, these damn Kennedy boys aren't going to be a problem anymore. You got no proof whatsoever. It's a woman story. Much like Judy Baker. A story. No proof, no evidence, no nothing. But I'm just supposed to believe it wholeheartedly and just lap it up. No, I'm sorry. I'm smarter than that. Okay? I need evidence. I need some something in the historical record. I need some kind of tangible proof that what you're telling me has some kind of validity or truth to it. <coughs> I'm not gullible enough to just believe somebody at their word. Because there is example after example after example after example of people that lie for a variety of different reasons, whether it be fame, notoriety, mental illness, um, you name it. Okay, just to gain a little money, fame, notoriety. You know, they want to feel important. They want to insert themselves into history. You know, they want to be, you know. Hounded after by Jim Fetzer for a hundred conversations about some shit that didn't happen. I mean, come on. You know, you really blew her ego up there, Jim. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sometimes, I, you know, I get a little excited and I have to express myself. Because, you know, without people like me setting the record straight, then people like them... And the people that listen to their crap, you know, believe it. And they tell other people or they write a, a blog about it or a book about it. Because without Madeline Brown and without Mac Wallace, the LBJ did it theory has nothing. Nothing. 
Billy so West said, here's another story. No proof, no evidence. So without Billy Soestis, without Mac Wallace, and without Madeline Brown, there is no LBJ as a mastermind, and all that crap is horse crap. No Roger Stone, no Phil Nelson, no whoever the hell else, because <clears throat> it doesn't matter. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm not going to believe things on stories. If you want me to believe something, you show me some tangible proof, some kind of historical record, some document, some, some evidence, some proof. Then we can talk. Until then, you're just blowing hot air, dude. And frankly, I don't want to hear it. Now, I don't even listen to your damn show no more. You know, I have my listeners that, that, that let me know when you speak my name, uh, when you say something outrageously retarded over there, you know, like this, talking about Billy Lovelady, when you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, you have no clue. You know, you don't even know that he talked to the HSCA. And he did. This is a formal freaking interview. They talked to him for over an hour. They went through detailed, you know, all kinds of stuff, asking him all kinds of questions about what he did that day, what he was wearing, what happened, who he talked to, blah, 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 blah. And you're going to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. I'm holding a seance here, and I'm calling up the ghost of Billy Lovelady to come back and haunt your ass. Billy. Billy. Now, you're going to hear Everything that I just told you about and more. And trust me, you're going to want to listen to the whole interview. Because if you like last week's show about Prayer Man, they actually <clears throat> asked Billy Lovelady about this other guy in the doorway. Oh, yes. So listen to the audio. It's a little rough. I've cleaned it up as good as I can. It is listenable. I promise. Uh, but you might want to get some headphones and plop them on so you can get the full, you know, you get the full thing without ambient noise around. So here it is. Without further ado, I bring to you the ghost of Billy Lovelady. And I'll be back afterwards to wrap it up for you. Stay tuned. Yeah. 
the top of the roof specifically. They won't, yeah, I don't know how to get through the road on so I can't All right. And then what happened after that? Um, I uh, got in the elevator and took uh, all 10 or 15 up to the seventh floor, which you could, uh, the uh, stairway could get up on top of the roof. And uh, I let everybody out on the seventh floor and they scattered in the road and couldn't find anything up there. All right. Then what did they do after they were on the seventh floor? Did they go up to the roof? Yes, uh-huh. All right. There's some, some, one where some saying, look around the seventh floor. Okay. And then, did they, did, then what happened after that? Uh, they completed their search and found nothing, and one of them asked me how to get down to the, to the sixth floor. They said something was going on down there, so I proceeded to take them to the sixth floor. All right. And what happened on the sixth floor when you took them there? They searched around, and they, uh, I was standing by the gate of the elevator waiting. They told me to stay there not to come out of the area. And uh, they, there was several down there already, including the ones I took down. And some of them hollered that they had found three shells. And then they uh, got looking, they came out with a rifle. All right. Now, were you there when they found the three shells? Sure was. Would you? Describe them to me. I did not see them. Okay, Phil. All right. Where were you when they found the ship? At the entrance to the elevator. All right. Did you go over there when they said that? No. All right. You know who it was that, that said they found the ship? Sure, sure don't. Okay. I didn't know any of them. All right. Did you know who it was that said they found the rifle? No. All right. Did you hear them say anything? when they found the rifle. But they, they had discovered the rifle hid under some cartons. Okay. Did they, did they describe the rifle? Not at that time, no, sir. Okay. Did you see the rifle at this time? All right. Well, he also did. All right. Would you describe the rifle that you saw? Well, it looked just like an ordinary rifle me at that distance uh, was about 50 feet, okay, and uh, I believe it had a sling on it. All right. Did it have a scope on it? Do um, you remember seeing that? Okay. Do you remember anybody saying what kind of rifle it was? Not at that moment. All right. Did you hear any conversations about that rifle? No, uh, just right after that, uh, bunch of them got on the elevator, and I guess other them got on the other one, so they went downstairs, and I went on about my business. All right. Did they get on the elevator with the rifle? Yes, but not the one I was on. All right. Okay. All right. Do you know who was on that elevator? No, sir. Would the elevator have had to have had an operator? Uh, one does and the other one you just push the All right. push button. Okay. One that was on. One of those open type of play elevators with you. Mm -hmm. uh, on your cage, that was it. 
of the shooting that all of this occurred. Upsiders on the time. Got back into the building. It's good. 20, 25 minutes. All right. Uh, do you know who had the rifle? And he was holding the rifle when he fell. No. Did you ever subsequently learn who was holding the rifle? No, I'm sure didn't. Okay. Did you ever subsequently learn the names of any of those people? Okay. 
on the day of the assassination, the night, oh, I'd say around 6 o'clock or so. Okay. And where did that occur? At, uh, 22, uh, 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 where I lived at a farming house. Okay. And that's where they showed you the picture. Yes. And they had a print of it. And they asked you if you could identify yourself in that picture. I showed myself in this picture. Okay. Or I made me. Did they? Or, uh, did they show you any other pictures? No, just one. And if 
if I had to, I'd get a court order put against me. And I had already talked to the lawyer. And he could do it. Was there anyone else 
everything. Uh, for, for purpose of identification, the photograph we're referring to is taken by James Alkin, Associated Press Photographer, negative number six on our own, a 35 millimeter tri and black and white negative film. Now, after that, what was your next contact with any type of official agency? Police, state, local, federal, secret service, or anything? You recall? Oh, no. 
And there you have it, folks. The words of Billy Lovelady coming back to haunt Jim Fetzer, Larry Rivera, Gary King, and Don Fox. You heard it straight from the man's mouth. I mean, it doesn't get any more plain than that. And when Billy wants you to know that he means no, and you heard it in this audio interview, you heard him, no. No, several times throughout the interview, very emphatically. You know, this clearly illustrates to me, you know, because one of their other accusations of Billy Lovelady is that he's a liar, that he lied to the Warren Commission, that he actually marked himself in a different spot on the steps other than, other than you know, the clear arrow pointing to the man in the doorway. You know, they suggest that he, his arrow was actually somewhere else and, and all this other nonsense. And it really is time to let it go. Okay. The gig is up. You know, your manufactured evidence, your hearsay, your suppositions, all are crap. You know, he wasn't, he was contacted by a ball saying, Hey, you know, we're going to bring you before the Warren Commission. He wasn't coached on what to say. He wasn't told what to say. You know, and this is 16, 15, 16 years after the assassination. You know, if, if Billy Lovelady, you know, he wasn't working at the school book depository anymore. He was, you know, this was all in the past. You know, his kids were growing up. He was moving on with his life. And if he was going to tell the truth, it would have been right there. Because the HSCA had the power to give people immunity. You know, if he had been carrying around this big secret for 15 years, he could have said, look, I got something to tell you, but I'm really scared. You know, and and they said, look, they could have said, look, you tell us whatever you need to tell us. You know, you're going to have full immunity. You know, you just tell us what really happened. Because all we want to know is the truth. That didn't happen. Look, you can tell by listening to the man's voice that this is it. This is it. You know, when he was called down to the FBI... He asked him, hey, you want me to wear that shirt I was wearing? No, don't worry about it. Just wear whatever you're wearing. Okay, no problem. The FBI screwed up in its report. Shocker, the FBI made a mistake. Okay, big shock there. It's just more ineptitude of the FBI. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a mistake. 
but it's contributed to this whole oh, menagerie of, of, of horse crap surrounding this Oswald in the doorway thing. Once and for all, you heard the man, you heard the tape that doesn't exist. You heard the interview that supposedly doesn't exist. You know, and finally, after all these years, Billy Lovelady is setting the record straight just for you. Larry Rivera, Jim Fetzer. The question is, are you going to listen? I want to hear a gigantic mea culpa on the real new JFK show, whatever the hell you're calling it now. The real deal, JF, new JFK show, or, or JKF show, as your graphics say, uh, or, or whatever you're calling it. Okay, I want to hear a huge mea culpa. I want to hear how you guys are so wrong and you got it so wrong. Please, I want to hear that. Because of all this Oswald and Dorian nonsense, please explain to all your listeners and give them some kind of evidence that is not manufactured and made up and, and twisted in some form or fashion to put Oswald in the doorway as you do. Please, I want to hear it. Because here is the evidence right here that all that shirt nonsense that you guys perpetrate is horse crap. It means nothing. So whatever you say means nothing about the shirt. Okay, so you don't have the shirt anymore. Are you going to stick with this, you know, this whole theory that the, the whole Alchin's photograph was massively altered? Prove it. How hard is it to hire a photographic expert to professionally analyze the photograph and conclude whether or not it's been altered? How hard is that? I'll tell you why they haven't done it. Because the answer is going to be no. It hasn't been tampered with. And in order to do this properly, whoever you hire is going to need to have the original photograph or a copy of the original photograph negative to do their analysis. You know, third, fourth generation copies aren't going to cut it. You know, for researchers, sorry, they're just not. Newspaper copies aren't going to cut it for researchers. You know, whatever experts you have looking at this needs to have first generation copy, the original photo or something from the negative to do their analysis. And they're, they're not going to do it, people, because they already know the answer. It hasn't been tampered with. It hasn't been altered. This whole Oswald and the doorway nonsense is a fantasy. It's a fantasy. These are desperate old men, desperate to leave their mark on the JFK research community by supposedly doing something great and proving once and for all that Oswald was in the doorway. He's innocent. He couldn't have been up on a sixth floor shooting and people just lap it up. Like, you know, it's insane to me. It's insane to me. This is proof, solid proof that they won't give you. Because what Billy Lovelady says does not jive with what they're, the story they're telling. Because once again, without it, it's another piece of, the, of their story that just falls apart and falls away and doesn't, doesn't, doesn't jive with anything. You know? So, there you have it. And like I said, I'll be waiting for a response. 
because I know you're going to hear this. And anybody out there who who is buddy buddy with Jim Fetzer or knows him or you know likes to stir up shit, go ahead and send him this audio. Please do. Because I want to hear a response from this. This supposed evidence that doesn't exist. Just a couple months ago, Larry Rivera is on here telling you did not exist. Yet, it's in the archives for 40 years. It's been sitting there. Nobody bothered to grab it and, and, and get it for us except Richard Gilbride. And it's been on the internet for years. But somehow Larry didn't find it. I find that hard to believe. You know, they want to give you this, just parts of the story to make it sound all the more macabre and all the more sinister. Sorry, you're going to have to do better than that. If you want to exonerate Oswald. <clears throat> and you keep throwing out this Harold Weisberg and Mark Lane nonsense. Look, these two old cats are looking at a newspaper photo 50 years ago with a magnifying glass. I mean, can we get over the fact that this, these great researchers, Harold Weisberg and Mark Lane, thought it was Oswald in the doorway back then? Okay, come on now. We're, we're, we're way far removed from that. All right? You know, I'm sorry, but that was their opinion. And opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. And theirs were wrong. Yes, even the greats can be wrong. Every once in a while. But anyway, that's it. The ghost of Billy Lovelady has come back. And he has set the story straight. And hopefully, Billy Lovelady's family will hear this episode and they will do something about the Oswald Innocence Campaign smearing the good name of their grandfather, father, uncle, cousin, whatever he is to this family. Because, you know, I, I just in researching Billy Lovelady, you know, you, you, you stumble across things. I stumbled across a picture of um, him, him and Patricia's grave. And it's posted on a site, this guy named Holga who goes around to cemeteries and photographs, you know, relatively famous or infamous people's graves. And one of Billy Lovelady's granddaughters had left a message on there for Holga saying that she didn't, she didn't uh, find it very tasteful and or respectful, you know, to have a picture of her grandfather's gravestone, um, you know, on his website. You know, if this poor girl... And I think her name is uh, Savannah something, Savannah Moore, maybe. You know, if she found this picture of a grave on a website, if she's got to have heard all this nonsense from the, the Oswald Innocence campaign about her grandfather <laughs> and, and how they smear his name and call him a liar and, and implicate him in all this stuff, you know, the time for the nonsense is over. The truth is now out there. The ball's in your court. Do with it what you will. And I'm glad this episode is over. And I'm sorry it took me a little bit more longer to put it to put it out because it's very clip intensive and that's personal things going on. But you know, it's out there now. For more, for pictures, head over to TLGpodcast.com for more 
And as always, if you would like to donate, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, you can also be a patron of the show if you go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash the Lone Gummin Podcast. You can support this show on a monthly basis or a show basis by pledging. You can pledge a dollar a month. Okay? And you sign up. It's automatically snatched out of your wallet every month and sent to me. You know, it's great. It doesn't seem like much, but, you know, if enough people do it, it's awesome. You know, and it help, really helps things out. Because I'd really like to be able to go to Dallas this year or or the year after. Um, it's a goal. But anyway, that's another way to support the show. You can also head over to modifywatches.com backslash the Lone Gummin Podcast and get yourself a cool-ass watch. They've got some... I got three designs over there of the original logo, a red logo, and, and one that uh, I haven't used anywhere except there before. You can get different colored bands and switch them out. It's really cool to match your outfit. Check them out. Modifywatches.com backslash the Lone Gummin Podcast. This bitch is in the can beamed up to the satellite down directly to your ears. Jim Fetzer, Larry Rivera, Gary King. This your boy. Peace. Benjamin Banger. Freemusicarchive.org. billion humans on earth and with that many people one thing's for sure they can't all like the same drink that's why circle k has polar pop and froster with a wide range of colas fruit flavors teas energy drinks and even sports drinks the flavor combination possibilities are nearly infinite come in pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you polar pop and froster starting at 99 cents each at circle k limited time only at participating locations the Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.